In the marvellous Melbourne of the 1880s, we see a city transformed in what seemed to many to be the blink of an eye, from that rough frontier town of the Gold Rush era to this dominant metropolitan centre. Now marvellous Melbourne is a bastion of certainty and demonstrable wealth and authority, where once certainly its future prospects had been much more contingent, just a twinkle in the eye of its fledgling, fledgling European inhabitants. Recall the scene in George Henry Hayden's 1854 novel, The Australian Emigrant, about Melbourne's suggestive urban form. Melbourne, said Weevil, that Melbourne, I have the plan of the town here, and produce one from his pocket. Pray point out the several churches marked on it. Where is the customs house? Where is the jail? Where the wharf? Where is the government house, the barracks, the police office? And in short, where is the town? Easy, cried the skipper. The shade of the largest trees left standing are our churches for the present. That little crib, a short way up from the Yarra, is the customs house. The plan you are staring at, young man, is correct enough, only it's what Melbourne is going to be, not exactly what it is. Now, Gina mentioned in her introduction that this exhibition enables us to travel back in time, and it's also instructive to read these paintings, in a sense, uh, forwards. And I think Humphrey has just given us uh, that marvellous insight in the way that we need to take ourselves back into uh, th these visual cultures of the past. I often talk to my students about the, uh, trying to get back into the head of the mentalities of Melburnians walking those streets uh, in, 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 in Robert's paintings, for example, in the 1880s, we would be overcome, I'm sure, by the smell of horse manure uh, that assailed our senses, uh, trying to get back into the mentality of people, Melburnians of the 1880s. So similarly, they would be affronted by the noise and the smell of exhaust fumes uh, of, ca of cars that we are completely uh, 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 immune to, in a sense. So, as... New World towns, as Melbourne was, competed for migrants and for capital. Speculation in town sites, uh, boosterism were major features and this process of settlement was most commonly described as conquering the wilderness and the rise of towns symbolised this like nothing else could. Many of the early 1840s views of the town, for example, exaggerate that primeval quality of remnant uh, gum trees that are cut down and, and are succumbing to this order and regularity of Surveyor Hoddle's grid. Of course, the impact of the gold rush decade in the 1850s was decisive, a dramatic and extensive reinforcement of, of trends of, of city growth. Melburnians escaped those inner boundaries of the corporation city and the gentleman commuters were heading out to Camberwell and uh, leisure types, as well as market gardeners, to Brighton and many of the poor down to the Collingwood Flats. And a richer city, of course, had more opportunities for civic control and money was poured into wharves and streets and drains uh, and water supply and railways and other facilities. These markers of urbanism themselves, of authority, were again often dominant in urban imagery of the era. So Melbourne emerges as 
a booming metropolis in the 1880s on the back, in a sense, of a, of a sequence of rushes, of the first rush of the squatters in the 1830s and 40s, the miners in the 1850s, and a third rush of the city dwellers, the flow of people and of capital, mainly from overseas, mainly from Britain, uh, and an expansion on the back of, of world technology as well, of trams and railways making all these things possible. And, of course, Alexander McCubbin, Frederick McCubbin's father, was part of this demographic transformation. From the mid-1850s, it was uh, in King Street that he ran his bakery, one of 20 or so in the city proper. It was here that Frederick McCubbin was born in February 1855. And the baker's work, I think, perhaps symbolises this general enterprise and industry of the nascent settlement of a growing city that never sleeps. And it's uh, instructive to imagine those morning rounds when the horse probably knew more where to go than, than, a, than a tired baker's boy, the young Frederick draw, joining this throng of city workers uh, travelling around who laboured in the streets, in the storeyards, on the wharves that were the, the engine house of this city. And in those daily comings and goings, he would have met up with the medley of, of workers, of carters and carriers, uh, all the, the dealers and merchants, the, the pie men who ran stores in city streets, all of these people, city builders in a sense, in their own right. And in the subsequent decades, by the 1880s, these, these decades of work and labour had turned Melbourne from that frontier town of magnificent intentions, if you like, into this dominant and thriving metropolis. And it was often to the riverside as a locus of, of trade and commerce and industry, a symbol of it, that, uh, that artists like Tom Roberts in the old Sacramento in the exhibition and McCubbin in the city's toil turned to embody this spirit uh, of, of this workaday world in those marvellous glowing colours of dawn and dusk. By the mid-1880s, the city that had been christened by London journalist George Augustus Sala as Marvellous Melbourne was this confident young adult to the brash and precocious youth of the 1850s. Uh, in the 1880s, of course, the city uh, again has this, this boom in land, of fortune and people. The population leaps, in fact, between 1881 and 1891 in the fastest growth rate that the city had experienced since the 1850s, much of it on the back of migration rather than a natural increase. The latter years of the no notorious land boom, that period of unbridled land speculation when new building activity, activity was double the national rate, were spectacularly, of course, followed by the crash of the early 1890s. And that decade commenced with the Melbourne International Exhibition in specially constructed gardens in, the, in Carlton. Much of that architecture of boom Melbourne has long since been lost to the records ball from the Federal Coffee Palace uh, to the, the Australian building uh, that was on the corner of Flinders Lane and Elizabeth Street. In its day, in the late 1880s, the tallest building in Australia and the epitome of marvellous Melbourne architecture. Streeton's uh, works, such as his works on Princess Bridge, feature this, a, a new approach, a new southern gateway uh, to the city that had been opened in the 1880s. Uh, and if you look at some of the previous artworks, we can see again how different these visions are. Becker's old Princess Bridge and Henry Burns' Swanson Street approaching the city very much from that kind of grand entrance, that vista from the south side of the river, looking across the, the grid into the city proper. 
Um, but, but, but Streeton's gaze is much more lateral and drawn to riv- the riverbank and riverbank itineraries, if you like, uh, rather than those sort of central uh, uh, comings and goings across the city's gateway. And again, looking back at some of the nostalgic views of the 1880s, contemporary views that are, that, that are intimately linked to these changes experienced by city dwellers over a short historic period and a new era heralded by new technological and economic and physical changes. And the, in the lead-up to Victoria's jubilee of settlement in 1884, there was, there was, in a sense, a sentimental appraisal of the city's origins, and looking back to those early years was a way of kind of authorising and stabilising and mythologising this miraculous growth of Melbourne. And we see in the mid-1870s, for example, Liade's uh, sketches, Liade, uh, who had constructed the, the, the first jetty at Port Melbourne and so on, uh, painted a series of depictions of early Melbourne in the 1840s and illustrated newspapers through the 70s and 80s were, were reproducing these reconstructed views of the early town in which the kind of wilderness and uncertain lines of settlement can immediately be compared in the minds of its readers with the advanced city of the present day. In uh, Old Stables, 1884, and Girl with a Bird at the King Street Bakery, McCubbin takes very different views. Here, a, a view of, of courtyard and house in, in the King Street premises, textured settings for moody studies, if you like, in mass and texture and form. But these, these places were the node of McCubbin's experience of the private and the public worlds of the city. I became for about three years a baker's carter, he recalled. Dad gave me a round in North Melbourne, an emerald hill, and also taking bread down on the Melbourne swamp and being down on the wharf to serve the old Geelong boat, the express that left at four o'clock. We were up at six and packed our carts, harnessed the old moke I drove, old Tom, and off. I shall never forget the mud in wintertime down on the swamp, the tracks around the gasworks, the timber laying about and the narrow shaves from being capsized en route. The bully Brown's cook, how he swore. And sometimes we got stuck in the mud and the routine day after day and the never-done feeling of it all. Just as McCubbin was choosing backdoor views, if you like, of Princess Bridge, uh, his Melbourne jail in sunlight, seems at first taken from a kind of unusual vantage point from the, the, the West or Swanson Street side of the public library founded in, 1850, in the 1850s and by the time of the painting it's, it's Australasia's leading largest library and, and symbol of civic culture and the views looking north over Latrobe Street to the back of the, old, the, of the, of the, the jail where Ned Kelly is hanged a few years previously and perhaps again to our modern eyes it hints at nostalgia an old gas lamp and, and old fences and a stray goat grazing by the edge of a rustic sort of path. But in a sense, it could be a more naturalistic study. Uh, While from the late 1830s, of course, the um, proximity to the waterfront and the elevation and transport nodes had very quickly established a preeminence of the western portion, the southwestern portion of the town. And in the 1830s, remember that uh, the the eastern end of Collins Street was seen by settlers as being out, out in the bush, it was actually many decades before these uh, northern and, and eastern blocks, some of them were completely developed. And certainly, uh, even through the 1880s, there were commonly reported uh, uh, herds of goats and other stray animals that roamed around these northern neighbourhoods of the city. While many commentators have read a kind of an airless quality in McCubbin's stage-set city views, 
painted as they were often in the studio rather than on site. This might easily misconstrue, I think, the physical realities of the town of the period, of, of vanished back streets and urban quarters, and perhaps too often anticipate some of those plein air techniques of later works. But there's no doubt, of course, that the city outskirts gave McCubbin further opportunity to experiment with subject matter, and just as city views may have looked to the past and the present, the suburban views often looked outwards and inwards uh, to the city, and McCubbin and Roberts uh, and others took their easels and brushes further out to camps, uh, as other speakers on today's program will discuss. But between, as I am, uh, 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 new and, and morning tea, I just want to spend the remaining time I've got talking briefly uh, but pointedly about, about a painting I see as, as an old friend. Um, and introspective encounter, if you like, in a bush setting may have served the purposes of figure painting, but the urban throng more unusually played host to one of Melbourne's most iconic, I think, 19th century paintings and discussions of Tom Roberts' Allegro con Brio, the view looking west up the hill to the Spencer Street end, often centre around lots of issues, the possible vantage point of the, of the author, the, the uh, identity of the flag, that later edition of the three figures in the left foreground. But perhaps another interesting route is through uh, Charles Nettleton's 1880 photo of Burke Street. Here in black and white, in a sense, is the real street, if we can call it that, looking east from Swanson Street, but strangely evacuated of people, of its daily denizens, and whether excluded for aesthetic preference uh, or simply the unwanted ghosts of the photographer's long exposure times. There, we can't doubt the keen accuracy of the lens, the perspectives, the gradients and surfaces, uh, if not lifelike, certainly factual. So how much more fanciful and impressionistic is the scene when morphed into Allegro Combrio, a street scene of Burke Street West painted uh, just a few years after by an artist whose occupation is listed as photographer when he joined the National Gallery School, having worked for Stewart's in Burke Street. Here on Robert's canvas is the same line of verandas, the same cab stand stretching east up the hill, the same chimneys and smoke on the horizon. This painting, <coughs> again, looks forward and back, preceding by a very short time a whole sequence of social and technological and municipal changes and transformations. The coming of the trams, the new wood-blocked roadway, uh, and, and, and many other changes. So it can be read as this sort of uh, nostalgic statement to a vanishing Melbourne or perhaps a prelude to this new vision. But the canvas really does come to life, that dust sort of billowing up the hill to the west and voices almost, you can hear them ringing across the street, dogs barking, people scurrying, the flags fluttering in the breeze. And that horsey end of Burke Street uh, contain all those associated trades of the horse industry, the horse bazaars and saddlers and harness makers and so on. And this whole urban ecosystem, in a sense, is given much more life. And Humphrey McQueen detects Roberts' modern vision when he writes, far from being nostalgic by not including the trams or the labour of laying their tracks, Allegro Combrio was the most contemporary-minded of all Roberts' paintings. He had chosen to depict modern life in the heart of the city. But whether by accident or design, the painting does celebrate the old street of multiple uses, of diverse purposes, a street as much a place for going to as a means of getting somewhere else. Most of the figures, as Humphrey observes, are indeed just dabs or smudges, uh, but one figure in particular might catch our eye. 
um, look to the left of the canvas, pick out that kneeling figure in Burke Street at the third veranda pillar from the southeast corner of Elizabeth Street. Here was one of the set areas or pictures that were granted to infirm and incapacitated uh, Melburnians on an annual basis by the City Council to graft a living from the streets. And of course the post office attracted a lot of activity uh, around this corner. Now these, these, these boot blacks, Melbourne Punch uh, image on the right there, hint, hints, hints in, a, in a, a, a cartoon that's loaded with a lot of other uh, issues that we won't talk about now, hint, but he does hint at, at that activity around, around, around it and that uh, uh, detail from Henry Glover's uh, road scraping pamphlet in the 1850s as well. Uh, that uh, around this particular corner, boot blacks were in operation, certainly from the 1850s, and, and certainly by the 18, uh, 1880s, the boot black nuisance was keenly identified police, by police and the council at this, uh, at, this, at this place. And as required by the terms of his licence, here is one of Melbourne's daily toilers, standing just down from the corner from which he's granted his annual licence. In 1883, there are 15 licensed boot blacks in the city, almost all standing, in fact, in Burke Street at some point. And in 1885, it was Charles Day who was granted a licence on the 8th of April and again in November. He's 72 years of, uh, old, infirm, poor, lives in Richmond. He'd been granted the pitch at this corner for about seven years. Like Owen Murray before him, Morris Larry, James Griffiths after him, and the scores of men and women who ran the fruit stands and the coffee stalls and the sausage stands and sold newspapers uh, on mail day. Charles Day is keenly observed by Roberts as much a part of the city's social fabric as Dun and Collins booksellers are part of the bricks and mortar city. So Roberts' accuracy in delineating the buildings and businesses flanking the Burke Street Hill might be noted. But we can also see, while impressionistic in genre, let's say, that the painting can also very intriguingly be read at a moment when those long exposure times of wet plate photography make it difficult to capture the more blurry figures, if you like, in the city street scenes as a most accurate portrayal of this micro-geography of the 19th century street. And it, it avoids, in many respects, the the kind of stereotypes and overdrawn contrast between the sort of lights and shadows of, of city life that are often perpetuated by the boosters and the, the slummer journalists and the like. So in conclusion, although not completely immune to the boosterism of the heady Lamboon decade, Roberts and Street and McCubbin are among the first generation of Melbourne city painters to encapsulate the varied moods of urban life in the subtle play of light and shade and sometimes also in a great uh, degree of accuracy in their attention to technical proficiencies and in placing individual images often in chronological array. I think some previous critics have been prone to underestimate the quiet self-confidence of these urban views compared to the 1850s, as I've briefly demonstrated, when the city ought to naturally imagine itself in terms of the future or by analogy to, uh, to, to, uh, to London or the, 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 the rosy-coloured spectacles, if you like, of hope and anticipation, the city views of the 1880s subtly but assuredly revealed a sense of attachment and rootedness to this place. McCubbin may not have been immune to his parents' homesickness, may have dreamed of escaping the drabness of Melbourne and immersing himself 
in what E.M. Clowes characterised early in the new century as that something different towards which we are all forever striving. But these urban paintings of the 1880s reveal an inescapable, I think, attachment to city life and a discovery of character and beauty in its byways.